What's up, everyone? It's Michael Scotto, HoopsHype.com's NBA writer and host of the Hoops Hype podcast. On today's episode, I wanted to bring in my friend Chris Fedor, who covers the Cleveland Cavaliers as a beat writer for Cleveland.com. This team so far this season has been uh, fun to watch, exciting, got some nice young talent, and they're on a quite a hot streak right now. So I thought uh, no better time to bring Chris on to talk about these Cavaliers and Got a lot of topics to discuss on the podcast today, including what the futures of Kevin Love, Ricky Rubio, and some of the other guys on the team can be, including Colin Sexton. Chris, how you doing, brother? Mike, I'm great, man. How are you? I'm great. Appreciate you coming on to take some time with me and to talk about these uh, Cavaliers. You know, knock on wood, hopefully you continue to avoid uh, the COVID surge that's been going on with this team. But uh, so far, they've been on quite a roll lately, and I think to many people, they've surprised so far at where they stand in the East right now. Uh, From your vantage point, what's been the difference for the Cavaliers during this win streak? And how are they being able to manage all these COVID outbreaks so far? I mean, I think the difference in this season, there are a couple of things. One, I think from top to bottom, organizationally, um, and then trickle down with the roster and the coaching staff, there is a complete buy-in, Mike of everything that they're trying to do. There's an acceptance of who they are and how they have to play in order to win games. And I think the other key difference is that they've become not just a respectable defensive team, but they've become one of the best defensive teams in the NBA because of what they have in their front line with three seven-footers, including Jared Allen and Evan Mobley anchoring the paint. So um, we knew for the last couple of years that defense was a problem for the Cavs especially with an undersized backcourt with Darius Garland and Colin Sexton. And even before Sexton went down, they were playing good defense because they had the size inside to deter teams from getting into the paint. And when you can play defense and and you play hard like the Cavs do, that usually leads to good outcomes, especially during the regular season. Do you have any idea when we could see some of these guys coming out of the COVID protocols? I mean, they've obviously been able to manage to this point, but they're a better team when guys like Jared Allen among those in the protocol is is on the court. Any idea when we could see those guys that are in protocols coming back? Yeah, it's a good question, Mike. And I was doing a lot of research just based on what the timeline has been consistently for NBA players that have gone into the health and safety protocols. And it's different, obviously, right? They can test out of the protocol. We have seen that throughout the course of the NBA over the last couple of weeks. Um, it, it obviously depends on vaccination status and whether you can turn up a couple of negative tests in 24 hours and things along those lines. But it seems like, and I've talked to a couple of the players that have entered the protocols with the Cavs. Not all of them have gotten back to me, but a couple of them. And from what I can gather... Um, the majority of the guys in the protocols, the ones that I have talked to, Mike, they either have no symptoms or their symptoms are very mild. Um, so that's a positive, obviously. But, you know, if you test positive, it's hard to get out of the protocols. That's just the way that it's been throughout the course of the NBA. And it seems like to me, Mike, that if a guy goes in the health and safety protocols, it's usually about two weeks, give or take. And when Kevin Love went in and Lowry Markkinen went in, it was a little bit more than two weeks for both of those guys. So unless something drastically changes and a negative test turns up and then another negative test turns up, 
I think we're probably looking for the Cavs to be without some of these key pieces um, through the end of this calendar year and not get them back until January. Well, knock on wood, it's good to hear that they're having either no symptoms or that they're mild. That's all in all good news to hear. Um, And, you know, you touched on a little bit earlier about kind of that front court and the Twin Towers a little bit and Evan Mobley and Jared Allen. You know, Evan Mobley, Chris, when I was talking to people preparing for the draft and some scouts and executives, people looked at Evan Mobley as a guy that was comparable to a young Chris Bosh. Now, yep. I thought those were pretty lofty expectations to put on a young <laughs> man. But, you know, Evan Mobley, uh, I think he and Scotty Barnes, and I think by the end of the year, Josh Giddy in Oklahoma yep. City are the guys that are going to contend for that Rookie of the Year award. Um, Cade might too. Cade's coming on. Knock on wood. Yes, he is. He has, uh, you know, he's he's been a guy that I just think for them – does a little bit of everything, kind of like Josh Giddy, and can fill the box score. But what's impressed me about Evan Mobley is how his defense has affected winning for the Cavaliers uh, and, and the way that they've kind of surprised people this year. Um, you know, Chris, when, when we're talking about Evan Mobley, one, do you think that he's a guy that is coming out of the end of the season as the rookie of the year? And two, uh, what – were the expectations for the Cavaliers for Evan Mobley this season and what he could ultimately become? Yeah, so um, I, I think he is the front runner for Rookie of the Year right now, Mike. I understand Scotty Barnes has been great for Toronto, but but I think the thing that separates Evan right now from Scotty is just the way that the Cavs are winning, and he's such an integral piece of them being nineteen and twelve right now. You know, obviously you can look at Jared Allen, the way that he has played. He's going to be in the all-star conversation. He should be. Darius Garland, same thing. And there are other components to this. Ricky Rubio has been a great vet coming off the bench. Kevin Love has bought into his role. But you look at the Cavs with and without Evan Mobley, what their net rating is, what their defensive rating is, their record with and without him. He's contributing to winning in a different kind of way than Scotty Barnes. And the Cleveland Cavaliers right now are number three in the Eastern Conference. The Toronto Raptors right now are number 10 in the Eastern Conference. So I think when you have comparable guys that that are doing great things for their team and they're putting up similar statistics, usually a tiebreaker type conversation goes to the guy who is impacting winning. Um, And that's been Evan. So I do think he's the front runner. I, I do think as long as he stays healthy, there's no reason for me to think that his production is going to tail off. So as long as he stays healthy, I do think he's going to win rookie of the year this year. That's how good he's been. And in terms of expectations, it's really interesting, Mike, because I remember talking to a number of people inside the organization coming into the year. And one of the things that they said is, Hey, you know, we understand how great he is. We scouted him at USC. We were thrilled when he was available at number three. The Cavs were giddy when they heard that the Houston Rockets were leaning towards Jalen Green over Evan Mobley because they liked Evan that much. Um, And and they knew, based on what they saw in college and based on what they saw in the offseason, that there were going to be exciting flashes throughout the course of the year. And he was going to be a big, big piece of what they were going to try and do this year. At the same time, they also said, hold on, we don't want to put too much on him too soon. 
the way that they phrased it early on, Mike, was we don't want to put the weight of the world on his shoulders. But what they realized was every time they tried to give Evan a little bit more responsibility and ask him to do a little bit more offensively in terms of expanding his game, he could not only do it, but he was thriving when they gave him more. So they were like, okay, there's nothing that we can give him or there's no situation that we can put him in that's going to be too much for him. He's going to be able to handle whatever we throw at him. And once they figured that out really, really early in the process, it was essentially like, okay, we're going to take the training wheels off that we thought we might have had to put on because he was so young coming into this season. You know, what's interesting, when when, they, when the Cavaliers drafted Evan Mobley, a lot of people, and including Jared Allen, who I've talked to a couple of times at, at Hoops Hype, obviously a former Brooklyn Net I had here uh, locally by me, and, you know, even Jared Allen wondered, how is this going to fit, per se? Like, people <laughs> on the outside were looking in, wondering. Yeah. And, you know, they both are pretty good shot blockers, both kind of take up similar areas on the court. But, you know, in talking with Jared, he said that when they played pick and roll, that they ended up kind of meshing well. And, you know, sometimes, like, great players just click on the floor. And so far, that's that's happened for them. Um you know, when it comes to Jarrett, I mean, he's putting up great shooting numbers. And Kenny Atkinson always said that Jarrett Allen's ceiling was to be kind of like a in between a Clint Capella and a Rudy Gobert type of player. I think this year we're starting to see that uh, metamorphosis. But, you know, Chris, I, where the Cavaliers stand in the East, I think they're almost owed a representative in the Eastern Conference. And I know you mentioned Darius Garland. But to me, if you're going to pick one Cleveland Cavalier guy that absolutely should be in the All-Star game, in my opinion, it would be uh, Jared Allen right now. Yeah, I mean, I'm right there with you. I think he's played at an All-Star level. And, and that's the thing, Mike, is sometimes you have these guys around the NBA that play at an All-Star level that you can make a strong argument deserve to be in the game. But there just aren't enough spots. And there's part of me that wonders if there's enough room for somebody like Jared. I'd make the argument that he belongs and he has been terrific, but the way that it's set up, it's backcourt front court, right? <laughs> it's not guard forward and center. So if you're talking about front court players, he's competing with Giannis and probably DeMar DeRozan, right? And, and all of a sudden, you start going through the list of front court players that he's going to be in competition with. And Kevin Durant gets in there, and Julius Randle gets in there. And you're like, Joel Embiid. And it's like, can we squeeze him on there in front of some of these other guys? Again, he's got a claim to it. It's just, I wonder if he's going to get squeezed out because as much as he has impacted the Cavs in a positive way, some of these other guys put up more gaudy statistics and they're more well-known than Jared at this point in time. You know, you touched on Julius Randle. I think if the Knicks continue to sputter, I think yep, I, you're you right. know, a, a guy that, you know, it's interesting. They always say like once a guy gets in as an all-star kind of has that first breakthrough, they kind of get the benefit of the doubt. But I almost wonder in this case, if that's true. And there was one other guy you mentioned too, on the back end there, um, that I question, I forget it was Embiid. right. Yeah, well, Joel is an all-star caliber player. There's no question. 
It's yeah. just he hasn't right. played a lot. But fans are going to vote him in, obviously. And right, that that's where it gets a little murky. But, you know, Chris, and also talking with uh, Jared Allen, we were touching on a bunch of different topics. And one of the things I asked him was, you're playing in a front court now. It, it's not only enough that they've got Jared Allen, Evan Mobley, and Lowry Markin, and they've got three guys that are like seven feet playing in a front court together. You've also got Kevin Love, who's been uh, an all-star, an Olympian, uh, an NBA champion coming off the bench. And I asked Jared, like, what what was the vibe with Kevin Love coming off the bench? And, and he said, like, you know, he's been a great teammate. And, you know, obviously we've seen him play – in a reduced role, but as of late in December, he's he's played better. He's gotten into a rhythm, it seems. Uh, Chris, from your vantage point and being around the team every day, two questions. One, what, what has been the vibe for Kevin Love in a reduced role for the first time in his career? And two, he's always been involved in trade talks, and his name has been floated <laughs> in a million rumors for years. Yeah. What are the chances that he gets moved by this year's deadline at this point? Yeah, to answer the first question, Mike, I think Kevin is at the heart of everything that the Cavs are about this season. And I want to clarify that because he hasn't been their best player, obviously. He hasn't been their second best player. But there is a complete buy-in. We talked about that earlier in this podcast. There is a complete buy-in. Everybody is an understanding of their role. Everybody has bought into their role and everybody accepts their role because they recognize that that role that they're put in by the coaching staff is best for not only them, but it's best for team success. And for Kevin, a Hall of Famer, a future Hall of Famer, uh, somebody who has accomplished more in his career than anybody else on this roster, to be willing to come off the bench, Mike, um, and accept that role and thrive in that role that helped set a tone of sacrifice and that basically let anybody else know it's about the team. It's not about me. It's about we. And if that guy's willing to come off the bench and Ricky Rubio, who could probably start on a few teams in the NBA, is willing to come off the bench, you know, guys like Colin Sexton can't say anything. Guys like Darius Garland can't say anything. Guys like Jetty Osman can't say anything. Nobody can say anything. It helps set the tone for your entire organization. It helps lay the culture of a, a selflessness that you're trying to create within this organization. Um, so he has been really, really accepting of this role. And I think Kevin understands too, Mike, that, that he's not a 30-minute-a-night guy anymore. He's not a high-usage guy anymore. He's not a focal point of the offense guy anymore. Not at this stage of his career. And him accepting that and recognizing that he can't be that guy and understanding in this particular role, he can probably play more effectively and he can probably play more games because his body's not going to go through it the way that it has in the past. I think there's a recognition on his part that the Cavs are doing this to try and help me be the best version of me. And then if I'm the best version of me, I can help the Cavs the most. In terms of trades, you're right. My goodness. Like, Kevin even jokes all the time, Mike, that he's been in trade rumors since the moment that he arrived in Cleveland back in 2014 from the Minnesota Timberwolves. Like, people have been trying to trade him. And the Cavs, like, stayed firm over the last couple of years. They were not going to attach a first-round pick. They were not going to salary dump him. 
And they said to the, like everybody around the league and anybody that was willing to listen, like we believe Kevin can be an asset. So we're going to try and get the most out of Kevin rather than just salary dumping him or giving up an asset just to move on from him. That doesn't benefit us. Um, and I think until the, the, the value that the Cavs have placed on Kevin and the value that the rest of the NBA has placed on Kevin, until that gets a little bit closer, I just think it's going to be hard for the Cavs to get an offer for Kevin um, that they're going to be willing to say yes to. I think, you know, looking more towards the next year when his contract is an expiring contract, then it really yeah, becomes right. an asset, ironically. It's funny because... You know, in the NBA, people talk about contracts as an albatross. You know, that word gets thrown around all the time and, oh, it's, it's, it's you know, the worst thing in the world. And then it's like, well, that last year of the contract, eh, that's pretty good if you got a salary <laughs> match and, and, and get a guy if you do want to do a salary dump. I, I, I've just been impressed on one hand with how he's been able to kind of adapt into a new role. And, you know, I got to say, Chris, I think part of it is a guy that you touched on, Ricky Rubio. Uh, the addition of Ricky Rubio, first of all, Ricky Rubio just passed recently uh, 5,000 career assists. And I think Ricky joked in the locker room after that half of those assists went to Kevin Love during their time together in Minnesota. And, you know, he's picked up a few here and now. Um, one, what has the what has the addition of Ricky Rubio done, not only for the team, but for the rejuvenation, in a sense, of Kevin Love uh, this season with the Cavaliers? I think it's been huge. And I think the other guy that, that we have to mention here too, Mike, in terms of helping Kevin be the best version of Kevin, J.B. Bickerstaff, the head coach. Um, Kevin has a great relationship with J.B. Kevin has a great relationship with Bernie Bickerstaff, who is in the Cavs' front office. Their families are very, very close. So when Kevin was going through everything that he was going through this past offseason, coming off one of the worst years of his career, a very, very frustrating time for him. And then all the stuff that happened with Team USA, Mike, the guy that was right there next to him, being honest with him, having tough conversations, trying to talk him through all of that, it was J.B. Bickerstaff. Kevin was leaning on J.B., and J.B. was there to listen and give him the honest and tell him, hey, you're still valuable. You're still a great player. I'm not going to do you dirty the way that, you know, maybe Team USA did here. Um, and I'm not going to say some of the things that, that Jerry Colangelo said about you. So the built-in trust between JB and Kevin that goes all the way back to Kevin's early days in Minnesota, when Kevin went through some very, very difficult things and JB Pickerstaff went through some very difficult things and they went through it together, that created um, that kind of relationship um, one that's built on trust, one that's built on honesty. And I think that's really, really helped um, with what we've seen from Kevin. And like you said, Ricky Rubio has the relationship built in with Kevin. And the other thing is Ricky's game is at a level that is very similar to Kevin's. And what I mean by that is in terms of experience in the NBA, what he has seen in the NBA, and just understanding how to make the right plays consistently that is something that I think has benefited Kevin greatly because of all of the frustrations that Kevin Love has had over the last couple of years during this rebuild, Mike, one of the most frustrating things for him was he was 
on the wrong side of 30. He had won a championship. He knew what winning looked like. He knew what it was going to take to win. He knew the right way to play, even though he didn't always play the right way, but he knew what that looked like. And some of his teammates, just based on where they were in their career, they were on a completely different timeline. Colin Sexton didn't always make the right plays. He didn't know how to make the right plays. Darius Garland, early in his career, didn't always make the right plays. He didn't know how. And there were a lot of young guys that were trying to figure it out while Kevin had already seen winning basketball and he got frustrated because these guys weren't playing the right way. Ricky Rubio plays the right way. He brings everybody along with him. He makes everybody around him better. And and I think his intellect being on the same level as Kevin's and his experience level being on the same level as Kevin's, I think that's really, really helped those guys bond. And I think it's really, really anchored the Cavs' second unit. You know, it's just interesting, too, when I think about Kevin Love, because coming into the year, there were some people that wondered if he was going to have kind of a Blake Griffin situation, get bought Mm -hmm. out. And people were like speculating, well, maybe he'll go to the Lakers because, you know, the Lakers, you know, I and, and there was an executive that, you know, quote, quoted uh, in Hoops Hype saying that they were the L.A. A.R.P. Lakers, but they uh, that they would be a destination possibly for love if he got bought out because of his relationship with Russell Westbrook. And now here we are. You touched on Ricky Rubio and what he's brought this season uh, coming into the year. Some around the league wondered if Rubio would be a short-term veteran mentor and then maybe the Cavaliers would flip him at the deadline. But the Cavaliers value him, according to the people in the organization that I speak to, uh, certainly for this season what he can bring. What I'm curious from your perspective being around this team every day and for multiple years, uh, is Ricky Rubio a guy that has a potential long-term future beyond this season in Cleveland? I think there are people inside the organization, Mike, that have had conversations about the possibility of giving him a contract extension and keeping him beyond this year. The way that he has played, he has shown that he can still play at a high level. Like his shooting percentages, probably not what you want them to be. Some of his turnovers can be really, really silly at times because he is a risky type player, but he is an asset. There's no doubt about that. And the Cavs are a better team with Ricky on the court, both offensively and defensively. And he hasn't shown signs of, you know, being done or being at the end of his career. It looks like he still has a couple more years of good basketball in front of him. So with that being the case, I think they would be willing to discuss a contract extension, continue to keep him in this kind of role where he serves as a mentor. Yes. Where he serves as a leader. Yes. But he's helping them on the court as well. And I think that's one of the big differences between this year's Cavs team and maybe last year's Cavs team is last year's Cavs team, like they're veterans, like they were good guys behind the scenes. They were helpful in the locker room. They were helpful from a leadership standpoint, but Matthew Bellavadova didn't play. Kevin Love was injured and Larry Nance Jr. missed more games um, this past year or last year than at any point in his career. So they weren't getting a lot from their veterans on the court. Ricky is giving them a bunch behind the scenes and he's helping them on the court. He is one of um, the guys that JB Bickerstaff has relied on since the beginning of the season. When teams start to make runs, he goes to Ricky Rubio. When it's time to close games, he goes to Ricky Rubio. 
And that was even before Mike Colin Sexton went down with his injury. So because of his impact behind the scenes and on the court, I think he is somebody that the Cavs are going to hang on to and they're going to try and keep him here beyond this year. You know, I think one of the factors that could weigh into that is the long-term health of Colin Sexton after his injury. Um, So with that in mind, Chris, is there any update out of Cleveland on where Colin Sexton is in his uh, injury recovery process at all? There isn't. Um, I've talked to a couple of people close to Colin, and they say the same thing that they always say. When it comes to Colin, he doesn't do anything half-assed. He attacks it full throttle, and he has attacked his rehab the same kind of way. And the belief is that because Colin is such a worker, he's going to come back better and he's going to come back stronger. And that's his goal. But in terms of an update from the Cavs at this point, Mike, they they haven't said anything. Just the one that they sent, you know, from the very beginning where it was like, you know, Colin's done for the season. Don't expect him even if we make the playoffs. It certainly seemed like when Colin Sexton and the Cavaliers were having contract extension talks, they were a little bit apart there, certainly, to say the least. <laughs> um, you know, Colin certainly in his camp felt he had a certain value. Cavaliers didn't agree. Um, without getting into specific numbers there, um, it, his future with the Cavaliers is what? Because, like, you can I, – I, I don't know if he – is there a scenario where he takes a qualifying offer or maybe a short-term deal here that he kind of can rebuild his value? Because I think it's going to be a dry market this year. Like it's not – and we saw last year – ask Lowry Markkinen. Ask Lowry Markkinen how it was on the restricted free agency market. It was yeah. brutal. So unless you're signing with your own team and getting paid eh, or you get a sign and trade, it's going to be tough. So for Colin Sexton, is there a chance that he takes either – the qualifying offer or like a short-term deal to kind of reestablish his value and, and get the bag later on. So I think a couple of things here, Mike, Um, the first thing is part of the reason why the Cavs and, and the Colin Sexton discussions went the way that they did is from the very beginning and you can say that the Cavs were wrong for this. You can say that the Cavs were right for this, but from the very beginning, they were looking at it saying, we're okay if this goes into restricted free agency. Restricted free agency is built in to protect us from making a decision that is not in the best interest of the organization financially. And members of the organizations that I talked to leading into those conversations were able to rattle off the teams with projected cap space for this coming summer like it was their own phone number. They knew them that well. And there were like four and it could have grown to about six or something like that. So what I kept hearing was which one of those four teams is going to give him a big offer in restricted free agency that we're not going to match. Which one of those teams is going to take Colin from us. So they're okay going into restricted free agency. They were always okay going into restricted free agency. And I, I've been wondering myself, Mike, if there's a reality that exists for Colin that he may have to take the qualifying offer because of this injury, because of the limited teams with cap space, because of, like you said, the dry market. And because, you know, because of this injury, 
Like he may turn into the forgotten man of this year's free agency class where teams are like, okay, we'll look for other targets first. And then if something comes down the road where we have to give him an offer, then maybe we go that direction. So I think there is a chance that he plays this year on the qualifying offer. And I think it's a complicated situation too, Mike, because the Cavs still value Colin. They still believe in Colin. They still like him. And he was the guy who really started this rebuild. He was the centerpiece of the Kyrie Irving deal. He's done everything and more that they've asked of him. He was a draft hit with the eighth overall pick. He was 18th in the NBA in scoring. And you can't take somebody who can roll out of bed and get you 20 a night on pretty good efficiency. You can't take that for granted. And the Cavs don't. But the question will become, can they find somebody who can do some of the same things that Colin does at what may end up being a cheaper price? And if that answer is yes, then I think they could move on from Colin, potentially in a trade. You know, it seemed like in talking with others around the league, outside of the organization, they always felt that eventually Cleveland would have to break up uh, Garland and Sexton because you can't just keep like paying all these guys and then you got luxury tax implications. But uh, the emergence uh, – well, what's interesting too is like when you talk to other people around the league, some executives view Colin as a really high-end – six-man type of player, maybe in like a Jordan Clarkson role as a combo guard that can score off the bench. And I think that's going to be interesting to see where his value gets determined because it's coming from outside Cleveland. And obviously Cleveland isn't going to give him a a lucrative offer just coming off an injury as well. They're going to probably make him say, show me. Part of that also, Darius Garland has emerged this year and he was a guy that uh, NBA executives, at least on our hoops hype poll, voted as the top breakout player for this year. Um, he's he's been more efficient and and had a better season this season than last year. Um, but I mean, we kind of expected that for Darius. But I think th- there becomes a question here of does Darius Garland do do they kind of move on from Colin to let Darius continue to to grow as the main guy, as the point guard of the future for this team and obviously the present. It's something that they're going to have to consider. No doubt about it. I think one thing that they will say is that Darius was playing well at the beginning of the season. Even when Colin was out there, the team was winning games with both of them healthy. Colin was playing off the ball more than he ever has throughout the course of his young career. And Darius was still flourishing with him. So it's something that they have to consider, but I think they still believe that they both can coexist and their games can complement each other provided that Colin continues to be comfortable in this off-the-ball role that they were playing him in at the beginning of the season. But I think one thing we can say, Mike, is that the hierarchy of importance when it comes to the young core of Cavs players has drastically changed over the last 12 to 18 months. A lot of people always point to the fact that the Cavs propped up Colin Sexton, they pushed him hard for all-rookie, And they always marketed him. And they were like, what about Colin? What about Colin? Um, Part of the reason why they did that is because they had nobody else to do that with. (laughs) Like, like, who are they going to push to the forefront? Jetty Osman, Kevin Love when he's injured a bunch, Larry Nance Jr. 
So, like, at one time, Colin was their best player. At one time, Colin was the guy who was most likely to be pushed into the spotlight. But that's changed. Now, when you talk about the young core of this team and the importance of their players, Evan Mobley's at the top, then Darius Garland, then Jared Allen, then Lowry Markkinen, and you go down the list, and suddenly Colin's been pushed further and further down that list. And maybe that turns into a situation where, like you mentioned, Mike, they put him into a role that many other people around the NBA feel like he should be in. He's not a featured guy. He shouldn't be a focal point of any offense. Maybe he shouldn't even start in the NBA. So make him the super sub six-man scorer. Maybe that happens down the road. But coming into this year, the problem that the Cavs ran into, and, and they were considering it up until you know the opener against Memphis, they were considering putting Isaac Okoro in the starting lineup next to Darius Garland and Collins instead of Colin Sexton. Uh, but they determined that Colin was still the best shooting guard on the roster at the time. And until somebody um, steps up and shows that they can be better than Colin and they can take his spot, the Cavs are probably going to keep putting him in that spot, if that makes sense. And, you know, it's funny, you touched on Chetty Osman. That's a guy that before the season, when I did my column for Hoops Hype on the top trade candidate for each team, mm. you know, I talked to people around the league and uh, Chetty Osman was the guy. Uh, obviously, he's he's been a guy that's been available over the years um, after he signed his extension. So two questions for you to kind of wrap up this pod on the, on the Cavaliers. One, uh do you see Chetty Osman as trade bait and potentially being moved before the deadline? And two, are the Cleveland Cavaliers going to be buyers at the deadline this year for possibly the first time in a while? I do think they're going to be buyers. I, I think there's a recognition that that if 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 the cost makes sense for them to acquire X player, whoever it may be, um, that they will definitely explore that. I think they feel like there are some, one of the things since this rebuild started, Mike, one of the things that they've always shied away from is breaking up the core or trading somebody that they considered a core piece. And I think if you look around the roster, the front office still believes that there are some ancillary pieces, not considered core pieces, ancillary pieces that probably have some value They also have a first-round pick that they may be more willing to give up because it doesn't look like it's going to be um, a high lottery pick the way that many people predicted coming into this year. So they may be willing to part with that with some protections or something along those lines. Um, And I think there's a recognition from the organization that, and we just spent a lot of time talking about Colin Sexton and what he brings to the table, I think there's a recognition from the organization that if they're going to improve this roster, that's what needs to be addressed. They need to replace Colin. They need that score. Somebody who can just go out and get a bucket when the shot clock is winding down or it's an end-of-game situation. Somebody who can play off of Darius Garland, knock down the difficult shots, but also um, create some offense so that all of that doesn't fall on Darius and Ricky Rubio. Um, Karis LeVert is a name to watch there. 
I think if the Brooklyn Nets decide that they want to make some changes, Joe Harris is somebody that the Cavs would be very interested in. Terrence Ross of the Orlando Magic fits the bill as well. Like those kinds of players, I think, is what they would be looking to add. Um, And coming into this year, Mike, I think a lot of people said if the Cavs are going to make any kind of blockbuster trade or any kind of improvement, they need to find a small forward. They need to find a three. Ben Simmons was brought up. Jeremy Grant, Brandon Ingram. Those guys were brought up both internally and externally when it came to the Cavs. But they believe in Lowry Markinen's ability to play the three now. And I think if we're talking about short term and just a plug-and-play type guy to help push them into the playoffs and maybe win a series, it seems like their focus has shifted away from the small forward spot and more towards the two guard to replace Colin Sexton and give them a little bit more offense consistently than what Isaac Okoro can give them. So I do think they would be buyers. And I do think Jetty Osman has value around the NBA. He's 26 years old. He's got a team friendly contract that descends non-guaranteed in the final year. And he's been better defensively this year, Mike, than at any other point in his career. I think for a couple of years, and rightfully so, a lot of people looked at Jetty as somebody who was a defensive liability. He's been um, very capable on the defensive end this year. Chase down blocks, deflections, steals. J.B. Vickerstaff and this coaching staff, they've really simplified his role offensively and defensively, and he's thriving in a more simplified role. And he's shooting the lights out for the Cavs as well especially when considering what he shot last year, which was around 30% from three-point range. So that kind of player has a lot of value around the NBA, for sure. I could see a scenario where you touched on that first-round pick gets uh, included in talks, Chetty. I think Dylan Windler is a guy to keep an eye on if if teams are still interested in him. It's been tough for him to kind of stay on the floor so far. But, you know, you, you touched on Joe Harris. I mean, you know, Keep this one under your hat, folks, but sometimes the heart grows fonder uh, and they miss you. And, it, you know, Joe Joe once was in uh, Cleveland looking like a, a biker with a mustache and a little bit of the, uh, you know, the goatee. And now, uh, you know, he's got the beard and the long hair and he's got like, the, you know, I'll bring her home tomorrow, daddy kind of vibe look going on there. So, yeah. You know, good for Joe, but I don't. I think it's certainly going to take a lot if Brooklyn's going to part with Joe. I don't think ultimately right. they do. I mean, you know, Sean Marks, he's like, I might, you know, Joe's a core member of the, of the franchise, I and mean, you can't just give up a guy <laughs> like Joe. You know, I, I I always get a kick out of Sean. We one day we'll have to do our uh, Brett Brown and Avery Johnson. I've got some impressions, oh, there but you go. but Chris, nice. I, I got to tell you, man, I I appreciate you coming on. We definitely dove in depth on the Cavaliers. And again, I wanted to because they've been fun to watch this year and they've surprised a lot of people. Um, So, you know, I I think you're going to have a fun flip to the calendar year to 2022 covering this team. And thanks again for joining me, brother. I appreciate it. You got it, Mike. Anytime, man. And I also want to thank everyone else for tuning in. And if you want to hear more episodes of the Hoopside podcast with guest appearances from NBA players, coaches, executives, and media members such as Chris Fedor. You can like and subscribe to it on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and anywhere else you listen to podcasts. You can keep up with my tweets on Twitter, 
at Mike A. Scotto. Make sure you're following Chris too. He's at Chris Fedor, F-E-D-O-R. Until next time, I'm your host, Michael Scotto, wishing you and yours all the best.